You can open to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to uh, borrow one or you can just keep it. It's our gift to you if you need to keep one. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up the uh, live event there and uh, follow along with all the um, scriptures and sermon notes and all that kind of stuff, okay? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and I want to take a minute and let's pray together and ask for God's help. Uh, Father, we're here, gathered together, grateful, your people, commissioned with purpose, and um, filled up with the, uh, the, the spirit of life, that's what you call yourself. And so, um, even as we engage uh, here in this, in this text and in this moment, um, what we're praying is that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come and speak to us. The world is a broken place. And so many of us come in feeling the effects of that, either because of our own choices or because, because of choices made for us. Um, God, the world is a broken place, and so we want um, to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done and God, we want to be a part of the answer to that. The world is broken. There are people who commit atrocities in synagogues in California and people who um, do tremendous harm in Sri Lanka and over and over and over again. The world is a broken place. So we want, as I said, to pray and to do our part to see your kingdom come and to see your will being done. And God, if that starts anywhere, it starts inside of us in this moment right here. And so, Jesus, I'm asking that you would come and do your work in us. Don't let us be the same. And I pray that in your name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, so um, we're kicking off a, a short series here um, called My Work, My Worship. And the idea is um, that uh, as we engage in our 40 or 50 or 60 hours, whatever it looks like for us, um, uh, that, that we would um, have a sense that not only is God with us here, but we can do this for God. Now, before we get any further, I want to just kind of scroll back a touch and say this. When I talk about my work, I'm not necessarily talking about drawing a paycheck. Uh, because your, uh, your work may look different than it did at different seasons of life or stations in life, whatever. Uh, your work now may be like, uh, maybe as a stay-at-home parent, it may be as a retired person, it may be working part-time instead of full-time, whatever it is, um, however that expresses itself for you, um, th- this would be uh, your work, okay? So that's what we're, and, and there's two kind of tendencies or temptations maybe uh, when, uh, when we approach this subject of work. The first one, and I think this is probably bigger in suburbia uh, than in other places, but uh, um, work would be um, uh, something like an idol. It would be the thing that we bow down to. It would be the thing that we give our allegiance to, our affections to, our attention to, all of that kind of stuff. And furthermore, it would be the place from which we are hoping uh, that, that this work, this idol, would bestow some identity. And I, I, let me just diagnose that for you. Hey, what's your name? My name's Bob. What's the very next question that you ask? Hey, Bob. What do you do? Yeah, see, kids, they ask, how are you? Every adult in here, every adult in here said, what do you do? We're asking, like, work to bestow some identity to us. Um, 
And so if, if, that's, if that's the temptation uh, to, to see it as the idol, we have to remember Genesis 3, like work is busted, man. It is busted. Uh, the, the other temptation, though, is to see work as an irritant, not an idol, but an irritant. Anybody? Don't, don't raise your hand because your boss may be in here. I don't want you to... But an irritant, right? And it's in the reason or the, the way that you would know if the, you're kind of viewing work that way is that every time you go home and you talk about work, it's always and you're just kind of grousing about it. Um, and that, I, I think Genesis 1 and 2 speaks to that and says, hey, listen, work is given to us by God to be full of good things. Not, not, not unbroken, but, but full of good things. We can instill whatever that work looks like for us at home or at the office or in the field or in the classroom, whatever. It can, it can be full up with purpose. So uh, um, some of you have asked before, like uh, on this particular topic, like what's a good resource? Um, this book has been fantastic, okay? And I, the, it didn't necessarily shape the series, but it shaped me. And so because of that, you know, I wanted to give this to you. It's called Work Matters by a pastor named Tom Nelson. Um, he pastors in Kansas City and uh, at... Um, Christ Community Church uh, in the KC area, and uh, I highly recommend it. They're doing great work in this area, and so just give you that. I think it's tremendous. So uh, here in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is uh, in the middle of all of these um, exhortations, these commands, these ethical things, and uh, he drops this little gem uh, right in here. And I think as we, if we can think deeply about it for a few minutes, uh, it will help us in how we engage Monday through Friday. So Ephesians 4, uh, verse 28 says this, uh, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest. Some of your translations may have good. It's the same word, uh, honest or good work, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so I want to start with this whole idea uh, that we would do good. Now, when we talk about this, this is, this is, the, um, this is in our DNA, the reason, one of the reasons we're picking up this series is because this is in our DNA. We have, as, as a strand of that, this, this whole idea that we're ready to launch. We have this little rocket icon. You remember this? Uh, from uh, February when we did our series on this. We're ready to launch. And we launch people into ministry. That's a good thing. But the other place we launch people into is Monday. Anybody got a Monday coming? So we want you to be ready for whatever Monday holds, including ministry opportunities and work and all this other stuff. Sometimes those things overlap quite a bit. So we talk about being ready to launch. We want to get you ready for that. Okay, so we start with, uh, the, there's just two phrases. One is do good, do good. And uh, you see that here in verse 28. We're going to talk about the middle part first and then kind of the bookends uh, here in a little bit. Uh, he says, but leather, rather let him labor doing honest or good work with his own hands. Okay, so there we go, to do good. Uh, break it down into these two things. We would have responsible work. That'd be one really key thing uh, first, we would take responsibility for our work. He says, um, doing honest work or good work with his own hands. Don't miss that. With his own hands. So there would be something about this that there is a, an active part of me. I am not being passive. I am not letting work come to me. Well, just when it should, I am going to actively engage in this. I'm going to take responsibility for this. I'm going to do good and honest work. I'm going to labor with my own hands. I'm not going to pawn this off. I'm not going to say, oh, kids, you can do that instead of me. I'm going to do it with my own hands. It is not a passive thing. 
We're not going to sit around. The other part, though, is that you don't want it to be a parasite. You don't want to be a parasite either. You know what a parasite is? Like goes into the ecosystem or whatever, and then just sucks the life, right? Consumes the resources of somebody actually doing good, is a complete taker, is not a giver in any stretch of the imagination. Instead of uh, even being uh, symbiotic in the relationship, no, man, they're just, they're just always this, always this, always this. And you just had a moment where you thought, I know that guy. I know that girl, like I know that person, or, or, or maybe like, ooh, ooh, I don't want to be that person. Um, so Paul encountered uh, people like this too. And, and in the early church, uh, in the book of Second Thessalonians, which is one of his earliest letters, um, uh, they, they encountered some stuff. Now, this is, we can find parallels in our own time and place, but in this particular time, there were folks who um, uh, would go to rich people's houses or into rich people's lives, and they thought, man, Jesus is back from the dead, and he's going to return soon, and so I'm just going to hang out at the rich person's house and mooch off of them until he comes back. Sound like a great plan, right? Not a good plan. Here's why Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. For even when we were with you, we would give this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Let's just pause right there. There's fiscal conservatism at its finest right there. Like you're not willing to contribute. Hey, pal, and, and if you're able to work, that's, that's the part. Of, if you're able to work and unwilling to work, you're a consumer. You are a parasite. You are a taker and not a giver. There's nothing reciprocal about this. You are not helping in any way. You are not doing good in any way. You are not taking responsibility in any way. You're just like, feed me, Simo. And that's what you're doing. If you're not willing to work, you don't get to eat. That is a powerful statement about responsibility in, uh, in our sense of work, whatever that may look like, whatever it may look like to you. God is specifically saying through the Apostle Paul to you and to me, hey, listen, there are things that we need to do and there are things that we get to do and we don't get to sit back and let it come to us. We need to be a part of this or we don't get to uh, uh, sit back and let other people take care of it. We have to engage. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. And then I love this phrase, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Nice little turn of phrase there, Paul. Uh, now, such persons, don't miss this, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is bringing in the weight here. He's not saying, hey, I'm telling you this because this will make your life better, or I'm telling you this because this is what the bestseller I read told me, or uh, this is just kind of how we roll around here, or because I voted this way, this is what, no, no. I encourage you and I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living, which sounds a lot like me uh, to labor Encourage, uh, tell him to do labor. Let the thief steal no longer, but let him labor doing good with his own hands. That's what that sounds like to me. There's a responsibility factor that we have to step into, be active and not be passive, uh, be contributors and not just consumers. Okay, that's, that's where we are. Uh, so uh, the, the kind of pastoral question that comes back my way goes something like this. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. What if I don't love my job? I appreciate all this work talk, but what if I don't love it? I'll just tell you three things quickly. Number one, um, if you don't love your job and you still get up and go, that will build character in you that will long outlast your job. Like the things that you and I 
uh, uh, participate in, that, that we persevere in even, that shape our character, that will far, that will far outlast any job that you hate right now. 10,000 years from now, that will still be effective in your soul. It will shape your character. Uh, when I was um, in high school, my uh, summer job was working in a warehouse for a furniture store, delivering furniture, stacking furniture, moving furniture, whatever furniture we need. Um, and th- so the way the structure worked was you kind of had all of us peons there, and then there was the son and then the dad at the top of the food chain. Well, dad saw us in the bottom of the warehouse one day. Um, we had finished our little morning uh, normal stuff, and there wasn't any delivery for a couple more hours. And so uh, he said, hey, you know what? Since y'all are here and don't really have anything to do. And I was like, oh, here it comes. He said, I want you to climb up there on that platform, get those carpet scraps, unroll them, measure them, roll them back up and mark them, and we'll sell them. I'm sorry, do what? Up on the platform, carpet scraps, unroll them, measure them, roll them back up, mark them, and then we're going to sell them. And I'm talking carpet scraps, like two foot wide, six foot long. Like, you buying that? Anybody? Want a 12 foot section of carpet? Nobody does, right? Nobody. Use it for a mat? I mean, what are you going to do? But guess what? That's what we got to do. And it shaped our character. Hey, this is what the boss wants. This is what we get to do in this moment. Was it ridiculous? Yes. Was it stupid? It felt like it at the time. Some of you are walking into your Thursday and thinking, this is ridiculous and this is stupid. I'm going to unroll it, measure it, roll it back up, mark it. It's never going to sell. But doing that shapes your character. Being faithful to what God has called you to do shapes your character. Secondly, um, if, you're, if you're working and drawing some sort of paycheck or um, uh, uh, drawing, having some sort of benefit from that, um, I just say this to you. This is the primary way that God provides for you. And our response should be gratitude. And that's not beating you with a guilt stick. That's an invitation to see it from a different perspective. This is how God typically provides for his people. Therefore, we can be grateful. And thirdly, um, it, it will allow you if, you, if you don't love your job, it, will allow you to, it can allow you to live out your calling. Your, your calling and your vocation don't have to be the same thing. Sometimes they are. It's fantastic when it happens that way, but not always. Your calling and vocation can be different, and sometimes you, you, you work so that you can live this out. Well, I, I'm kind of called to be a family man and, and you know, coach my kids' uh, little league team and that kind of thing. Well, you go to work so that you can do that. So on and on, we could come up with example after example like that. They don't have to be the same thing. It's great when they are, but they don't have to be. Um, you, you are where you are for a reason. So you've got ministry opportunities there, and they allow you, uh, the, the work that you do allows you to fulfill your calling in other places. That leads to kind of a sub-question, just briefly. So does that mean that if I'm going to fulfill my calling, I really need to go into Christian ministry full-time? Here's what I would say to you about that. When I was in college ministry, I used to have this conversation a lot. And it would go something like this. Oh, you think you're called to ministry. In your mind, can you see yourself doing anything else? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm pretty good at accounting. That's what I'm majoring in. Like, I could go be a CPA. I would say, go do that. Go do that. Why? Because ministry has its own set of challenges. It's crazy. But also, like, you, you need to be a CPA because... Your firm needs Jesus loving, Jesus following people. Like, 
If, if you're out working wherever it is that you work, for the, for the freight delivery company or, or for the uh, computer company or whatever, if you're out working, like you will be in places and get into conversations that I, as a pastor, never will. I don't get invited to those conversations. I don't get to sit at those tables. And what do you need? You, you, you need to step into that, lean into that. So don't, don't feel like you have to surrender what you're doing in order to do ministry. I'm saying that you can do ministry in the place where you're doing whatever it is that God's given you to do. Be responsible in your work. That's part of what it means to do good, to do it with your own hands. The second part is uh, that, that to do good also means to then release good. That's the way I'd say it, release good um, into, this, into this world. And what does that mean? Release good means to bring order to chaos by creating and cultivating things in God's good world. That you bring order to chaos. This is what um, Adam and Eve were called to do. Uh, Genesis 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That, that's kind of the thing. Like express your, uh, uh, you, your humanity and your creativity um, over this. You get to do this. Genesis 2, hey, here's a garden. It's going to be awesome. But be sure to tend it and to keep it. That's what he said It's in Genesis 2, um, 15. So um, this is the kind of vocational expression of love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, I'm going to release good through the ways that, uh, through, through the things that I do. Does this limit the things that you can do? Yes. Not everything that the world offers as a job is an expression of love your neighbor. Right? But many are. And you get the opportunity to, to express this. Love your neighbor through the vocation that you do. Um, but, but it's more than that. It, it's a channel. This, this vocation, this thing that you do, this work is a channel by which good gets released into the world. And I'll just give you a couple of very brief examples. How many of you have lawns? Yeah, you got lawns? How many of you, if you didn't tend and keep or create and cultivate in your lawn, six weeks from now would have a lawn about four and a half feet tall, that you'd lose small children in and various and sundry weeds, you know, would be popping up. Anybody? Like it takes some creating and some cultivating, mainly lawn mowing, in order for the lawn to look exactly how it's supposed to look. And in my mind, I can see Adam going, oh man, this is a lot to mow. And God's going, yeah, man, but it's going to be something after you mow it. Like you're going to believe, it's going to be incredible. And Adam's like, okay, here I go, mowing the Garden of Eden. I know, just work with me here. But mowing, and, and indeed, it turns out incredible. Okay, how many of you are either gardeners or you like, uh, uh, like planting flower beds and stuff? How many? Yeah, so you've got a patch of dirt. You just, it's just there, a patch of dirt. You stick a strawberry plant or a flower or a begonia, whatever it is that you stick in there, right? Previously, it was just a patch of dirt, but now that you have tended it and kept it, now that you have created something and cultivated, you can bring something awesome out of it. Maybe something productive, uh, like a strawberry or blueberry or blackberry or whatever, or maybe something beautiful. You can release beauty into the world through the flowers. Like it takes some effort on your part, and in doing so, you are releasing good into the world. So... What, what then is my role in bringing order to the world? I just ask you some questions. Um, how do I go about in my, you know, kind of normal work week? What does it look like for me? Whatever your work is, what does it look like for me to create and cultivate? So I just ask you these questions. Like, question number: What do you make? What do you make? Do you make educational experiences as a teacher? Um, uh, do you make computer code? 
that, that runs stuff that we need? Um, do you make widgets, whatever the widget is? And so if, if that's the case, you don't want to make, as an expression of love your neighbor, you don't want to make like a okay widget, right? You want to make a really good widget. You don't want to make a, a, a so-so educational experience. You want them to walk away going, I've never thought about it that way before. Or actually getting that four and four is equal to eight. Um, you, you don't want to just write software code. You want to write like software code. You know what I mean? Like you want to you have it sl- slim and trim and fast and working and no bugs. All. You want to make something. You want to bring order to chaos by creating and cultivating that. What do you make? A second question. Um, what do you make safe? Because some of you in your jobs, it's not so much what you create as it's what you cultivate. Like you, you put some borders down or you, you hedge some things in or, or you make safe in some ways. And I'll just give you an example. An air traffic controller, you want them to have a very boring day. Like if they come home, how was work today, honey? Ah, fine, everybody was safe. That's a good day for an air traffic controller. Uh, more kind of in our world, we have several actually in the room, law enforcement officers. Like you want a really quiet shift and we want that for you. So what do you make? Or secondly, uh, uh, what do you make safe? Thirdly, um, say it this way, what do you make right? That's the question. What do you make Right. If you're releasing good into the world, bringing order to chaos by creating and cultivating, one of the questions you could ask yourself is, what do you make right? And the easiest example for this uh, is, is the healthcare field. Now, a couple of weeks ago, there was this lady who shot her mouth off about nurses playing cards. Anybody follow that? Yep. I've had some experience in hospitals, never seen a nurse play cards before, ever. I just going on record, nurses are some of my favorite people in the entire world. What I see when I think about a nurse is some of our past experience walking into an ICU with about 12 different drip bags and about six different pumps and stuff beeping and chirping everywhere, and they are there to create order out of that chaos by, by certainly preventing some things hey, we don't want this person to get the wrong medicine at the wrong time, to have the wrong reaction, whatever, right? And by promoting some things, like there are some ways that the body will heal as we kind of create an environment for it to do so. That's, that's kind of healthcare, one expression of that last question. First question, what do you make? Second question, what do you make safe? Third question, what do you make right? Again, pastorally, the question comes back, something like, yeah, but, you know, blue collar, white collar, there seems to be a lot of discrepancy there. Um, I would just say this about that. This culture tends to value um, a people by the amount of money that they make. God doesn't value people like that. Both blue collar and white collar, um, like God values them both and the world needs them both. So blue collar folks, God even used uh, uh, these folks, Exodus chapter 31, they're getting ready to make the tabernacle. He wasn't calling uh, uh, some white collar folks. He called some dudes who knew how to make stuff, right? And so uh, they had calluses on their hands and dirt and grime under their fingernails. And the Bible says that he filled them up with his spirit so that they could go about creating this, uh, uh, this tabernacle, this place where worship would happen. 
God values them, right? And, and, and furthermore, not only does God value them the same, but the world needs them. So God values them and the world needs them both. God values them both, the world needs them both. And I'll just give you a very simple uh, um, illustration here. Hey, if we had to build a bridge, right? Maybe crossing the uh, little drainage ditch out here. Like if we had to build a bridge, I would want two people thinking long and hard about this bridge. Number one, I would want an engineer. Is that fair? I want an engineer to tell me how to help build that bridge because if I'm trying to build a bridge, y'all are toast. Don't go walking on that bridge, okay? I want an engineer to tell me how to build the bridge. I need to know the span and the weight limit and blah, the, all the engineering things that I don't understand. Science, 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 okay? I want, I want that to happen. And... I want the dude who knows how to pour some concrete. Engineers, they don't know jack about pouring concrete. I want some guy who knows how to pour, who's been pouring concrete for 20 years to go out there and pour the concrete for the bridge. Am I right on this? Engineers, they know how many screws are supposed to go in. They don't know how to put the screws in, right? So you've got to get somebody who knows how to do that in order to make that happen. You need both. It's not a matter of one or the other. God values both, and the world needs both. Martin Luther said it this way, that God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. So, code. Create educational experiences. Drive nails and screws, pour concrete, plumbers, electricians, uh, uh, doctors, whatever it is that you do. Do good. Release good into the world. Second um, piece of this, this is a shorter piece, but it's an important piece, is to show the gospel. We as a church family built into our DNA, again, believe that the gospel doesn't uh, uh, simply make uh, uh, people able to go to heaven, but it actually gets them ready for heaven. Like there was a transformational aspect to us following. We said it this way, that one of the DNA uh, strands in our lives as a, as a church family is gospel transformation, that God would change people's lives. Jesus died on the cross for our uh, sins to forgive us so that we could be made right with God. And then he rose from the dead um, to give life and freedom to everyone who follows him. We saw it in the baptism up here. We see it in lives here. And it makes a difference, not only on Sunday when we celebrate, but also on Tuesday when we have to do the meeting gospel transformation so we would then show the gospel in those places and I just point to as I said the bookends verse 28 let's start here let the thief no longer steal previously a thief now not a thief so guess what because I'm not a thief anymore what am I not going to do I'm not going to steal. We, we immediately think money, and you think to yourself, well, I don't steal money at my work. That's good. I'm really good. I don't want to come visit you in prison because you embezzled stuff. That's good. I don't want to, for real. But there are other ways that you could steal. Time, the way that you engage social media at, while on the clock, you could steal time. Um, uh, you could steal ideas. You could, there's a number of ways you could, so let the thief no longer steal, but instead, uh, uh, at the bottom of, of verse 28 there, last phrase there, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So no longer a thief, now what? A giver, a sharer. Used to be a taker, now I'm a giver. Used to be a consumer, now I'm a producer. I'm going to give some, I, I've got enough, I'm going to share with you. You got some needs, I'm going to share. 
That is what the, that's what it looks like when, when people's lives are transformed. This old way of life kind of gets amputated, set off, and this new life is, is taking off, and it's full of purpose and beauty, and we're releasing good in the world and doing good to those around us. We're loving our neighbor, all that kind of stuff. But hear this, please. This is where we don't want to get lost. We don't do this so that we can become followers of Jesus. So that people will, whatever your thing is. We do that because this is what has happened. To, this is who we now are. I used to be a thief. I'm no longer a thief. That old stuff has gone away. Paul said in a different letter, um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old stuff, is, old stuff has gone away and the new stuff has come. He said something similar just a few verses back. Look at verse 22. We're done. You ready? Verse 22. He's talking about how we learn Jesus and what, what did Jesus teach us? Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, sounds something like let the thief steal no longer, but instead let him work doing labor with his hands, honest labor with his hands, good labor, and uh, that he may have something to share with those in need. And then verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You and I, if the gospel has taken root in us, we are a different person than we were. The reason the thief doesn't steal any longer is because Jesus is in charge of his life. The reason why you get to go out and release good in the world is because of who God has made you to be. A good releaser. That's who he's made you to be. That's what he wants to do and that's what he wants to do through you. That's how the gospel changes us. So we get to step into environments. We get to step into work meetings. We get to step into other places. We get in conversations via email or phone or text or whatever, and we get to show the gospel that we used to be one way, but now God has done something and we're somebody different altogether. That's going to make a difference in somebody's Thursday, and it should. So let me pray, and we'll ask for God's help that it would do so.